Let's pray before we begin. Lord please let us understand your word and put it in our hearts. May it shape our lives to be more like your Son. In Jesus' name we ask, Amen. The Israelites <clears throat> had conquered Og and Sihon, the kings of the Bashanites and the Amorites, on their journey toward the Promised Land. When he comes back in, let him sit back in the back, fellows, if you would, please. Back in the back. That's good. The Israelites had conquered Og, that's O-G, and Sihon, or Sihon, the kings of the Bashanites and the Amorites, in their journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. However, when they, when they approached the land of promise, just before they got to the Jordan River, they found that the land was a very fertile land, a land that was rich in pastures and good land for the sheep to find, find for the where the sheep could find pasture. <clears throat> Two tribes, <clears throat> Dan and Reuben, decided that they would like to stay on the wrong side of the Jordan River, on the east side. Now bear in mind, on the west side of the Jordan, there were the Canaanites that must be driven out, battles that must be won, fought, and victories that must be won. These two tribes came to Moses and said, Now Moses, we don't want to cross the Jordan River. We found this land uh, that we've conquered is a very, very rich land in pasture. We be a shepherd people. Let our two tribes stay on the east side of the Jordan. And don't make us go over and fight the battle for the promised land. Now bear in mind, what they're asking for was for permission not to fight a battle that their nation was going to fight. Moses didn't like it. He rejected their request. Why? He said, that's not right. <clears throat> you, you two tribes ought to come and fight with the rest of the ten. This is as much your country as it is ours. This is as much your battle as it is ours. You come and fight with us. They presented a compromise measure and suggested that they be allowed to leave their possessions and their wives on the east side of the Jordan River. The men would continue across the Jordan, would fight every battle that the other ten tribes fought. They would stay with them until the land was completely conquered and the battles were completely won. And the victory was to given to God's people. Then they would go back across the Jordan River, and there they would be reunited with their wives and families and with their possessions. They agreed to this. Moses told them, if you will fight with us, then you may go back after the victory on the east side of the Jordan, and you may possess that land. But he said, you're going to have to fight 
with the rest of us. Now you listen to me, and you listen well. I don't care what the so-called peace lovers say. I don't care what the so-called pacifists say. God orders people subject to a government to be obedient to that government. Nobody has a right to choose the war he fights. Nobody has a right to choose the stop sign he, he observes. Nobody has a right to choose the, red, the, the traffic light that he obeys. Nobody has a right to choose the policeman that he obeys. Nobody has a right to decide what law he'll obey and what law he will not obey. And the crime that the fellows have... Fellows, whatever they are, uh, they don't look like fellows. They don't smell like fellows. I like what Reagan said about them. said they... What was it? They, uh, they uh, look like... They, they look like Tarzan, act like Jane, and smell like cheetah, yeah. And uh, I wish you knew the Bible like you knew what, uh, all that stuff. <clears throat> but uh, but uh, what they say is that the Vietnam War was, was not a war that should have been fought, and hence they should not have fought. That's not the issue at all. The issue is whether their government has a right to send them to war or not. That's the issue. The issue is you keep the law. Well, you say, I don't believe that law. I don't believe that war. I don't believe in all the laws either. I don't believe in the income tax law. I mean that. I don't believe in it. I think the entire conception of income tax as we have it, in fact, I can prove it. Lenin said that that's one way he would destroy this nation and make us communistic. I do not believe in, in, in overly taxing success. I don't believe in income tax laws. I don't believe in the Social Security. You say, are you under it? Yes, I am. I want to get every dime I can get back. I've sent enough dimes up there. But I don't believe in the system at all. Now, you say, well, how's the, what do you think? I'm saying, I do not, you do not, and those fools in Canada do not have a right to decide what laws they obey. And if we get the place to where we say, you choose your war, I'll bind you one thing. I'd never choose one. And millions of our young men will say the same thing. So, <clears throat> they said, we don't want to go across the Jordan. We want to stay here. We like this land. This is exactly suitable, uh, suited to our needs and to our, our, our sheep. Let us stay here. And Moses said, no, no, you're going to fight like the rest of us. You may live here, but you're going to fight like the rest of us. Now, and then he gave that great warning that is so oft preached from and yet almost always misunderstood and misinterpreted, he said, be sure your sin will find you out. Now we preach on this passage and we say, be sure your drunkenness will find you out. Be sure your immorality will find you out. Be sure that your cheating will find you out. And I don't think we do an injustice to the scripture. We preach on it like that. But that's not what it's talking about. It is saying, if you will not fight the war with all the rest of us. Be sure, be sure your sin will find you out. Now what Moses was saying is this, we're going to punish you. Moses was not like our president. Moses was saying, and by the way, he wasn't saying God's going to find you out either. He's saying we're going to find you out. He, what he was saying is if you don't come and fight our war with us, we're going to come drag you out and put you where you ought to be. You're not talking about it. We say, oh, the Lord will find out your sin. That's true, but that's not what this scripture is talking about. 
This scripture says, I want to find out about it. This scripture says, if you do not fight the war with us, we will punish you. And you will pay for your unwillingness to so fight. That's the sin. Now, by the way, this sin, be sure your sin will, this statement, be sure your sin will find you out, have nothing at all to do with God's, with, with, the, with the unsaved. It was God's people. And not the sins that we think of as being bad, but the sin of being unwilling to fight with the rest of the nation. Now, there are several sins embodied. There are many, and far too many to enumerate tonight. But there are several sins embodied in this one sin of being unwillingness to fight, unwilling to fight. Here were two of the twelve tribes. They said, we don't want to fight. We want the land here. This is as far as we want to go. But Moses said, no, you can't stay here. You've got to come and fight with the rest of us. Now, if they had refused to fight, the first sin they committed, or would have committed, was the sin of selfishness. They could have said, we're tired of fighting. They could have said, we have already won the battles against Sihon and Og. Let us sit and, and relive our victories. Let us study them. Forget the other ten tribes. Let us relish in the victories of yesterday. And let us rest. We're tired of fighting. All over this country, America's full of these loafers. Full of them. Full of them. On Sunday, they must be fed. They want sermons to feed their souls. They eat the fat and drink the sweet. They crowd to the table for the best wine. They tuck their napkin around their spiritual necks and say, Feed me, preacher. Feed me, preacher. They love their conferences, their Keswick meetings, their worship services, their Bible studies, and yet they turn not one hand to do anything for God. Not one hand! This Chicago area is full of them. I mean, just full of them. Feed us, preacher. Feed the sheep. Feed the sheep. Feed the sheep. I recall when I came here, somebody came to me and said, Brother Howes, you're preaching too hard. You're not feeding the sheep enough. You're not feeding the sheep. You ought to feed the sheep. I told them the next Sunday morning when I preached, I said, I, you can't feed a dead sheep. All you can do is skin him. They say, feed the sheep, feed the sheep. Give us more of Bible study on, a, on the, the revelation. Tell us what the beast stands for, and the leg on the beast, and the foot on the leg, and the toe on the foot, and the nail on the toe, and the polish on the nail. Tell us more, tell us more. Feed us, feed us, feed us. Yet they never take, make turn one hand to go soul winning. They never lead a person to Jesus Christ. They never start a bus route. They never build a Sunday school class. These loafers, these tri two tribes that want to stay on the bad side or the, the, the uh, happy side and the feeding side and the pasturing side of the Jordan River. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Every Christian is supposed to be in the battle. You have no right to sit on the wrong side while the battle is raging. You have no right to sit back and enjoy the services while the battle is raging. There are people tonight in this room who said, let the college students do it. There are deacons in this room tonight who used to have, we have deacons in this church who have made a visit on our soul in a month. You will resign the deacon board or get right with God one or the other. Say amen. amen. Yes, you ought to. I'm simply saying we have Sunday school teachers who have said, now we have a college here. They'll do it. They'll do it. We'll have enough folks walk the aisle. Let me tell you something. When you face God, you'll be as guilty before God Almighty as those dirty cowards in Canada are tonight. You are guilty of the same sin they... Oh, you sit back and you say, well, 
Israel. They wouldn't fight for our country. Well, I won't tell you something tonight. My citizenship is in heaven. That's where my country is. And if you won't fight the battle for God, you're as guilty as they are. You are unwilling to fight a battle. Now listen to me. Listen to me. There are dozens and scores of people in this room tonight. Deacons and Sunday school workers and teachers and members of this church. We want to be out on a bus route rounding up a bunch of kids and not letting George do it. The very same sin. They said, we don't want to go. We like this pastor here. Let me tell you something. I'm praying for God to give us a faculty of people this year from the president of our college all the way down to the custodian. And in this case, it's the same man. <laughs> I'm praying for God to give us this year a faculty and administration of our college, our high school, and our grade school. I'm praying for God to give us a, a group of teachers who will say the biggest thing in our lives is the souls of men. And I'm praying for God to give us a revitalized church membership. Our own people. Those of you who stayed here and you paid the bills and you fought the battles and you stood by your preacher. That's wonderful. I'm glad you did. And I thank God for you. And I think you're the finest folks in the whole world. But there's going to come a day when your sin of not fighting in the battle will find you out. And God's going to hold you accountable for the fact that you're a loafer. Don't you talk to me about the fellows in Canada. Don't you talk to me about the, the, the draft dodgers. Don't you talk to me about the deserters. When you belong to the army of the Lord and won't even fight in the battle for God. Never bring a soul down these aisles. Listen to me. Listen to me. There is no excuse in this world why any of all of us, every one of us, should not be in the battle for God all the time. I can hear one of their crowds shouting, Am I my brother's keeper? I think I've heard that fellow before. I think I heard that first in Eden's garden when Cain said it about Abel. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. Yes, you are. I challenge you tonight. You, you, you bus word. Listen, listen. I want this year the biggest bus minister we have to be our A bus routes who are manned by our own people. I'm calling to arms tonight our deacons who have bus routes. And those that don't, I'm calling to arms many of you to get bus routes. I'm calling to arms tonight our Sunday school teachers to give it all you've got this year. There has never been, there has never been, there has never been, there has never been a day in the history of our nation when one church was so needed for one country as this church is for today. I'm calling our lay people. I'm calling those of you who said, well, I'm tired. Let somebody else do it. Get back in the battle. Get back in the battle. <coughs> I uh, <coughs> was down in Garland, Texas this week. And I was preaching in my, in, many, in, in my hometown area. I grew up in Dallas. And Garland, Texas is nearer to Dallas than Hammond is to Chicago. I preach there Monday night, Tuesday morning, and Tuesday night. And Dr. Billings, I think the saddest thing that I face when I go back to Garland, Texas, is this. I do not know of a church in all the history of Texas that was as on fire for soul winning as the Miller Road Baptist Church used to be years ago. You know, we grew from 44 people, 92 members, to 4,128 members in six years and eight months, and we didn't even have one bus. Not one bus. I mean, that was growth without a bus. We didn't even run a bus in Garland. We, we, we bought one bus, one time, and it broke down on the first trip. 
And we never, we never rode the bus. Bubba Watley is a guy that rode, that, that rode the bus, and uh, we never had a bus route, not one. We, we had three and four thousand people saved a year without one single bus. Nothing unusual on a Sunday night for us to have 25 adults saved or 30 adults saved in that church at Middle Road Baptist Church. Paul Peavy is one of the deacons there tonight. Big stand-up, Paul. Six foot seven inch giant of a fella. Thank you very much. Paul was a, Paul's a deacon there. <clears throat> I pastored Paul when he first got married. He and Miss Pe- Miss Pe- Mrs. Pe- Mrs. Peavy was with him. And, uh, but I, um, I go back to Garland. And I see people that, I, that used to go soul winning. They still carry their Schofield Bibles. They still don't drink or smoke or dance or go to picture shows or play cards. They're still as clean as a hound's tooth. But in hundreds and hundreds of cases, I find myself weeping when I go back. People whom I loved as I love my own life. People who once were out on the floor winning. Now what's happening? They're making money. They're making money. Numbers of them are millionaires. I mean that. Guys, I mean, guys that couldn't even, I, mean, I had to pay their car fare to come to church. Millionaires now. Rich men. What? Making money. Listen to me. There is not one thing in this world as overrated as making money. Not one. Not one. Not one. It never has brought anybody happiness. It never will bring anybody happiness. It won't bring you happiness. What you ought to do is take some of that time, a lot of that time, you spend trying to make money. And you ought to take that time and get out and rub noses with this great mass of humanity in Chicago, plunging like a, like a, 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 a bullet to its target, an arrow to its mark, toward hell. Nobody cares about it. Listen, if this church right here does not reach that town, she will not be reached in our generation. She won't. Now, you listen to me. Just because you put a few dollars in the collection plate doesn't buy off your obligation to work for God and fight in this battle. Doesn't do it. I'm saying every one of us, every one of us, every one of us must get in the battle. And don't you come whining to me saying, what do you believe about amnesty? I'll tell you what I believe about amnesty. I believe you draft dodgers are going to be found out. has conscripted every single one of his children to be in the army of the Lord to fight. Build Sunday school classes and get the job done for God and stay busy for God day and night. And if you do not fight, if you refuse to fight, you're a draft dodger, a deserter. There are folks in this room tonight that used to have bus routes and, and don't have them now. You go to Canada. Go to Canada. Join up with the other deserters. You don't say amen very much when I preach on this, do you? Oh, I bet you about cigarettes. I'm simply saying, go on up there, deserter. God has commissioned every single Christian to be a soul winner. There are people in this room tonight who never win a soul to Christ. Go to Canada, deserter. Join your crowd. 
We stand tonight on the threshold of the destruction of the greatest country this world has ever known. Every force out of hell is pointing its, its, uh, its barrel toward our country to pull its trigger and destroy our nation. Less than five blocks from where I stand right now, a dirty sex hell hole operates a sensitivity parlor and peep shows and, and topless shine girls shining shoes naked from the waist up for three dollars and sex crazed benighted fallen creatures of dust go in that hell hole and the dirty fella who someday is going to face his God for his wickedness and filth and destroying this nation right beside the dirty courts that let him stay open. He's, he's ruining our kids and, and going day and night and fighting day and night. God give us a church that will fight that kind of stuff day and night. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner. It must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory, his army shall he leads every foe is vanquished in Christ. His Lord indeed, rise up, O people of God. We're in a war. We don't have time to loaf. We don't have time to pray. We don't have time to be secular. We're in a war for our lives, for our kids' lives. If we don't do something to this nation right quick like, our boys and girls will live in concentration camps. If we don't do something for our nation right quick like, our young people will not know freedom that we've enjoyed and doors of churches like this will be closed. We've got to get busy for God. But you say, preacher, I get so tired. I get tired too. We say, preacher, I feel I'll crack up. You done cracked up, you quit the army. But you say, preacher, I serve my time. You have not finished your servitude till you face your master. But you say, preacher, I'm old. <laughs> so is John Rice. So is Dr. R.G. Lee, 87 years of age and still preaching two and three times a day. God says, you're going to fight with us or your sin will find you out. The sin of selfishness. Number two, the sin of ingratitude. Ingratitude. Maybe some of you students are saying, I don't like loud preaching. Well, the bus, the bus leaves quick. Take off at the bus station. You say, is the pressure on like this all the time? All the time. Why, you say, I'll have a nervous breakdown. I hope so. You say, I'm not going to leave my little girl here. She has to hear you holler and beat all the time. That's why I'm letting you have it while you're here, son. You know an old-fashioned hell, fire and brimstone, sin, fighting hell, hating, Christ-honoring, soul-winning, Bible-preaching, devil-hating church? Then you just take your little Susie and take her back home to some little state college somewhere. What I'm trying to tell you is this. We have a war to fight. Not a one of us has a right to be exempt from the conscription. Ingratitude. They wanted land for which they had not labored. <clears throat> they wanted not to fight for land. That was not, that, that they wanted to get land for which they had not fought nor labored. They wanted ten tribes to go and fight and win the battle so they could have their own peace, their own security. Ingratitude. Am I to receive? A, am I to receive and never give? Am I to eat and never feed? Am I to drink and never offer a cup? Am I to wear and never clothe? No, I'm not. If I am clothed, I must clothe. If I am to wear, I must clothe. If I am to eat, I must feed. If I am to drink, I must offer a cup. If I am to receive, I must give. I am indebted to pass on that which has been given to me. 
You became a Christian because somebody talked to you. Now you're indebted to talk to somebody else. You became a Christian because of a godly mother or godly father. Now you're supposed to be a godly mother or godly father. You became a Christian because someone came to you and sacrificed to tell you the story of Jesus. Now you are a debtor to them to carry the message to others. That's one reason why I go like I go. I owe some debts and I intend to pay them. I owe a debt that I that I owe a debt to my mother for the fact that she cared for me and taught me right, and I aim to talk, I aim to, to teach my kids right. I owe a debt to the Sunday school teachers who taught me when I was a child, and I aim to teach others children and pay the debt I owe to them. I owe a debt to dear Mrs. Hazelwood, who taught me when I was a junior boy. I owe a debt to dear Mrs. Bethel, who taught me when I was a beginner boy, five years of age. I owe a debt to Mr. Smith, who sat behind the desk and taught me when I was a junior lad. I owe a debt to Proctor Boyd, who taught me when I was 17 years of age in my Sunday school class and influenced me more than any other layman that ever lived. I owe a debt to Mrs. Skeeter, who was my training union director, who, who prayed for me when I was away from God. I owe a debt to Dr. Rutherford, that, that dear blessed man who was a veterinarian, who stood up and prayed for us and prayed for God to make something out of us. I owe a debt to those dear people. I owe a debt to my pastor, Brother McElroy. I owe a debt to Brother Sizemore. I owe a debt to every teacher that ever taught me the Bible. I owe a debt to everybody who ever told me about the Savior. I owe a debt to everybody who ever fed me when I was a kid and poor and told me when I could not, could not, did not get by my own clothes. I owe a debt. And tonight, if you are not carrying this message of Christ to others, you are not Grateful for what others have done for you. And you're crooked, to be quite frank with you. You're crooked. The debt of ingratitude. I must hasten because of time. The third sin that you, that you committed is a sin of lying. Back yonder when they left the land of Egypt, they promised to fight until the victory came. Now they want to stop and rest a while of, and before the victory is over. You know, everybody in this church knows this about me, but I hate to stop anything before it's finished. There's something inside of me that won't let me stop something before it's finished. I hate to see something unfinished more than anything in the whole wide world. I like to see it finished. I, like to, I, don't, I don't even like to start a conversation without finishing it. I don't like to present a problem without solving it. Why? I'll tell you why. Because God does not like people who are sluggards and loafers and cheaters and, and spongers. God wants us to do what we do with all of our might. And you will hear that again and again and again while you're at this school, you young people. You will hear it again and again and again. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. I will stay in the battle. Why? Tell you why. Because I promised God one day I would. Sure, I get tired. Sure. Sure. I get as tired as you do. So you ever think, you, you ever want to slow down and rest? Of course I want to slow down and rest. But I can't. Why? Because I owe a debt. There are folks tonight in this room who knelt at this altar and promised God you'd be a soul winner. You know you did. You know you did. Tonight you're hedging on that promise. They call that lion where I came from. They call that lion where I'm going to. It's lying. You promised God you'd do it. I preached a sermon, or some of the faithful pastor 
preached a sermon. Down the aisle you came and knelt at this altar. And with tears streaming down your cheeks or sincerity in your heart, you said, Dear God, I'm going to be a soul winner. Now all of a sudden you think your battle's over. You want other folks to do it. This is not a relay, relay race, brother. It's a run to the finish. It's a marathon. It's not a, it's not a 440 yard relay where you take it for one, one, two, 110 yards and give the stick to somebody else. It's a race that'll be run until you look in the face of the Savior, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And you've lied. There are folks here tonight who came down this aisle and you promised God that you'd build a great bus route. You promised God you'd get out here where these people need somebody to love them and care for them. And you made a holy vow to God. And you've broken that vow. You've broken that vow. Suppose tonight I stood behind this pulpit and I said, Folks, I'm quitting the ministry. I'm just tired. And you do not, listen, I'll tell you honestly, now don't feel sorry for me, but you have no concept of the load I carry. And don't feel sorry for me, pray for me. But you have no idea. None. I mean, I mean, all of it is on these shoulders, and I'm glad to bear it. Some folks, I stood the night and I said, I said, okay, I'm going to quit. I'm tired. I'm weary. I've just carried the load. I've gone day and I've gone night and I've gone week after week, seven days a week. Uh, 18, 19, 20 hours a day for these long, long, many years, and I'm just tired. I'm going to quit the ministry. You'd be shocked. Now, let me tell you something. I have just as much a right to do that as you do to turn back. Just as much. Just as much. God knows, God knows no double standard, none whatsoever. I have just as much a right as you do. As long as one little boy in Chicago, unloved and uncared for, walks the streets of Chicago barefooted, as long as one little girl has a mother who's a prostitute and a father who's a drunkard and nobody to tuck her in bed at night and say, I love you, sweetheart, as long as one man stumbles down Skid Row on the west side of Chicago, or for that matter, here in Calumet City here, on State Street here, as long as there's one homeless person, as long as there's one naked body, as long as there's one hungry body, as long as there's one lost soul, as long as there's one person who's standing beside a casket or a little mound out in the cemetery with heart broken and life seemingly ended, as long as there's one person whose, whose dreams have been broken and shattered and whose air castles have been torn to the ground and leveled to the ground, as long as there's one on his way to hell, We've got to keep on going. No place to stop. No place to stop. You've heard me say this, and you students will hear this again and again and again. And that is, I, won't, I will not have the word quit in my dictionary. No, sir. In fact, the sword of the Lord has put out a, a little, uh, what do you call these things that have the tapes in? A little, an all tape. They have a bunch of tape. What do you call them? The, Anyhow, a bunch of tapes and have a picture on the front, and it's called two words, it's sermons by me, and it's called two words, not Dr. Howell's Dictionary, quit and compromise. I won't have them. If you came over to my, my office tonight, and you got in my bookcase, and got my Webster's Collegiate Dictionary out, and turned to the word quit, you'll find it's not in there. I got the scissors and cut it out. I won't have it in my dictionary. No, sir. Why? I don't aim to quit. I just don't aim to quit. Well, you say, we'll just fire you. I'll stand outside and preach back at you. 
I'll get me a loudspeaker and drive down the street and boys won't let you sleep at night. I don't aim to quit. And I don't aim to compromise either. Somebody said last night, I said, yeah, you're a new school. You're a new school. You'll get over it. <laughs> check and see if we have any signs of it yet. Just check and see. No. And I say to our students, if you decide to go home, don't you t- come and tell me goodbye. I don't want to see your carcass. Don't come tell me goodbye. When you walk in the door of that college, don't you walk out till you have a degree in your hand. If you're the kind that's a quitter, I just just don't think I can afford it. Well, do it anyhow. I just don't feel like I get tired. Well, bless him hard. Wouldn't want anybody to get tired. Don't you come by and see me when you go home. Crawl out of the city in the sewer, but don't come by and see me. I don't want to talk to you. Yeah, you, 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 First Baptist folks, you like it when I get on the college folks, don't you? You like that, don't you? Yeah. What you, what if you quit? How about your Sunday school class you used to teach? How about the time, how about the Friday, Friday morning soul winning you used to attend? How about the, the foster club soul winning on Saturday morning you used to attend? How about the soul winning you used to attend on Friday night for the men? How about the bus route used to have? How about the work you used to do for God? How about it? Draft dodger? Deserter? Unpatriotic? To the country of heaven? He said, I, what you want is amnesty, but the Bible says your sin's going to find you out. There's a fourth sin, and that is the sin of discouraging others. How often one person says, I'll quit, somebody else quit. Did you know there's a shopping center not far from here? A thriving shopping center. Close the doors of all the stores because two two stores closed the stores, other doors, and folks thought the shopping center was going out of business and folks quit going. All because of the discouragement by two businesses that went out of that left the center. Did you know that one person who quits, I never forget it. I was in a paratroopers. Never forget it. About to make my first jump. Standing. 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 Sitting. <laughs> About to make my first jump. Standing in the door of the plane. Sergeant said, Ready! I felt a tap on my shoulder. I turned around, a little fellow named Johnson from Trinity, Texas, a little short fellow about that tall, looking up at me with tears streaming down his cheeks. He said, Jack, <laughs> I'll quit if you will. I've never, never had an offer like that in my life. Never have. Never have. You know what I'm talking about. If one of us had quit, the whole shoot match would have sat down 
And that entire plane landed with all of us on the plane. Why? <clears throat> because one person discourages another. I like what Winston Churchill said. He went to a college over in England, small college. After he became the great Winston Churchill, Prime Minister of England, and I think perhaps the greatest user of the English language in the entire, our, our generation maybe, <clears throat> Winston Churchill came back to the college where he attended to make an address. Oh, they wanted to hear this great orator bring his address. They introduced the Prime Minister of England, alumnus of our college. He's going to give us an address. Mr. Churchill left his seat and stood up to bring his address to the student body of his old college. And he said, young people, never, 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 turn back and sat down. And they said that was the best address that Mr. Churchill ever made. Never. 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 Turn back. Never. Never. If I do, somebody else will turn back. I was thinking last night, did you ever try to grow grass next door to some people that had nothing but weeds? Did you ever have a yard and you had you spent all day digging weeds out or crabgrass out and right next door they're running a nursery raising weeds and crabgrass? <laughs> Discouraging, isn't it? Did you ever rake your leaves and the rascal next door didn't rake his and the wind was in, his, in the direction from his place to yours? If there is a reason for murder, that's it. <clears throat> and if you kill your neighbor like that, I'll vote for amnesty for you. I, I recall one day, and our folks have heard me say this, one night. I, I realize I'm 47 years of age, nearly 48. I've passed the flower of my handsome youth. Didn't have much to pass. <clears throat> but I uh, thank God I, there are others on the platform who have done the same thing. I've known most of these fellows for a long time, and I never knew if they, you know, you can't come back where you ain't been. And I, But I, uh, but every once in a while, forgive me for being a little vain, but every once in a while I think I look nice. It's just funny, isn't it? <laughs> but every once in a while I, you know, you, 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 it's just, you know, you get something new and you say, now, boy, this was made for me and I for it, we for each other. Now, I, I recall how that I had just bought me a pretty pair of black pants and a green sport coat and a black tie. And I put that thing on at the house and looked in the mirror and I said, boy, you just got to be it. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're the best-looking hunk of masculine morsel that's ever lived. Look at that. Boom! 
And I came to church that on prayer meeting that one Wednesday night. I came to church, drove my car up out here, parked at the front. You know, I, I knew I looked so pretty that I, 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 I just knew it was going to be awkward, you know. So I got out and walked in like this. <laughs> I just, I just knew, boy, this is, this is. I mean, man, look, I, it's, it's almost, it's almost a crime me to walk up on that platform tonight. Folks won't think about the Bible. You ain't much either. <laughs> All difference between me and you is I confess my sins and you don't yours. I got out of the car <clears throat> before I got in the door. Less than ten feet, I'm sure. A lady met me and she said, Brother Hiles, do you feel bad? <laughs> I said, no, ma'am. Never felt better in my life. <laughs> Never. <clears throat> Never felt better in my life. She said, oh. And I wondered what she meant by that. I walked on inside the door and I didn't get ten feet inside the door. Somebody said, hey preacher, don't reckon you ought not to take a few days off. How do you feel? I said, pretty good. Not perfect, but pretty good. Well, you're just, just thinking. I didn't get to my office door. Somebody else walked up and said, Have you had a checkup lately? And I said, No, but I don't feel very good. I looked at my rags. I went down. We used to have a meal down. We, we used to didn't have our buffet. We, we used to serve in uh, uh, set in tables and have the uh, family style meal. And I sat down. I never forget it. Mrs. Uh, Gifford looked over at me. She said, "Pastor," and I said, "I know it." And I'm going in tomorrow for a checkup. <laughs> you know why? Because it is. Because it, it affects you, doesn't it? It affects you. Discouragement begets discouragement. Enthusiasm begets enthusiasm. Optimism begets optimism. I told you this other night. Used to be a man meet me right, right outside this door every Sunday night and every Sunday morning. He'd look at me and he'd say, Pastor, I want you to know I'm with you. No matter what they say. And I said, what did they say? <laughs> Discouragement. Ah, listen. When one quits, others quit. When one slows down, others slow down. <clears throat> Somebody quit to his bus route because you quit yours. Somebody quit going soul winning because you quit going soul winning. Somebody quit a Sunday school class because you quit a Sunday school class. By, by the way, the sin finally is against God. Be sure your sin will find you out. I was thinking last week. All the mistakes I've made since I've been a pastor here. I started confessing my faults and weaknesses and sins of 15 years. And took a little walk down in Texas. 
I was preaching in Texas Monday night, 15 years, 15 years ago, the day before, 15 years ago last Sunday. I preached my last sermon at Miller Road Baptist Church. Fifteen years ago this morning, I preached my first one here as pastor. I was talking to God a little bit. And I said, Lord, nobody that, nobody that I'm obligated to has much of what I'm supposed to be. I don't have time for everybody I ought to take time for. I'm just not really honestly... I'm just so busy, I don't have time to do anything like I wish I could do it. And I said, Lord, I'm going to confess this, this one. I like what Dr. Rice says. He says when he confesses his sins, he makes a list of them. That's a good idea. Just write a list of your sins. And he goes, confess them. Then he says, after he confesses them, he tears the list up in little bitty pieces and flushes it down the commode. He don't want anybody else finding that list knowing all the stuff he's doing, you see. And I said to the Lord, I said, Lord... I uh, I wish I had time to be with my people more. And I got to thinking, if I spent 30 minutes with every member of this church and saw 100 people a week, think of it now, 100 people a week, 30 minutes apiece, like I'm doing, I see about 85, 85 folks now a week. If I spent 30 minutes with each one of you, hundred a week. That's ten weeks to see a thousand. That's a hundred weeks to see ten thousand. That's two hundred weeks to see twenty thousand. It'd take five years for me to see everybody in this church just thirty minutes. And the Lord knows that many of you, I'd love to spend some time with you. But I said, Lord, for 15 years, I never have said anything but that this book was true. You know I haven't. i made mistakes. God knows I have. I've done wrong. I've sometimes had a bad spirit. But Lord, I've always stood for your book. I talked to him late one night, taking a walk. And I said, Jesus, I never have turned my back on you. You know it. I've never been ashamed of you. I'm a fool, but I've never been ashamed of you. And I said, Jesus, you know it's true. You know it. I've never denied you. I've preached that you're virgin born, the Son of God, the only Savior of the world. I've known that, but I've, I've, I've been willing to speak for you anywhere I was. And you know it's true. And Jesus, I'm not much, but I've gone day and night. And I preached when I was tired. And I preached when I didn't feel like it. And I didn't turn back. For 15 years in Hammond, a place I never saw before, people I never knew before, folks that can't even speak the English language correctly, poor, ignorant people. When I first came here, they didn't say, hello, pastor. It was, hi, pastor. Poor, poor, misguided illiterates. 
But I said, Jesus, I've worked hard, and I've loved you, and I've stayed in the battle. I love to kid. I love to laugh. I have a right to, because I cry a lot, and they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. i got a right to laugh. Every time you drop a tear, that's an investment for a laugh tomorrow, with dividend. I love to laugh. But I got a few scars. I don't say much about it. But I got a few scars. I've cried myself to sleep a few nights. But I'd like to stand up here tonight and say with Winston Churchill, I'll never, 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 never. Never, never, never turn back. Won't you get back in the battle tonight? Won't you get back in the battle? Huh? I'm pleading with you folks who've been deserters to get back. I'm pleading with you to give what you've got. Many of you have turned aside. You've turned back. You still come to church, but you're not in the battle anymore. Still set in the pew, still tired. But you're not in the battle anymore. Won't you get back in the battle? Huh? I want to say something tonight about one of our teachers, and I'm going to close. <laughs> Brother Jurgensen, where are you? Would you stand up, please? That little fellow. Keep remain standing a minute. How much you weigh? 130. How tall are you? Where'd you go to college? Thank you. Princeton University. You know what I said? Princeton. This fellow's not a graduate of Groundhog State in Arkansas. <laughs> no, he's not. No. He didn't go to Hog Calder University. He went to Princeton. Princeton. Teaches last year taught mathematics in our school, our college. Trigonometry. Unlike the country fellow said, fellow came back from school and his father asked him, said, what did you learn? He said, I learned a foreign language. He said, what was it? He said, trigonometry. <laughs> Don't you laugh. It was foreign to me, boy. Said, speak some of it to me. He said, power square. No, he said, power not square. Power round. Cornbread or square. <laughs> but Princeton. Princeton. You see, little house, how do all these educated people put up with this uneducated preaching? They're paid to do it. And I always preach my toughest, meanest, most offensive message the first Sunday night. So you know it can't get any worse. If you don't like this kind of preaching, you're in the wrong school anyway. This is what this school's all about. That's what it's all about. <coughs> that little fellow back there, Princeton University, teaches trigonometry. Did. Teaches Greek.
built a mighty big bus route last year. Last Sunday, somebody told me, I think he, uh, this year, I think he had 70 some on his bus route. There he is, out knocking on doors. Princeton University would like to have your children in our Sunday school have a bus route here. Uh, hey, little fella, would you like to come to Sunday school? We're having a big time. Come on our buses out on Saturday. Out on Saturday. That's what it's all about. I call you tonight. I, I call you. I charge you. All of us. Let's give it our best this fall. We've got some tough days ahead of us. We don't have enough room. And what room we have here, we won't have this room for, before long. We've got, to, we've got to leave this place and go to the Civic Center in a few weeks. And we've we got to be floating around. I'm going to just send up smoke signal. Where you see the smoke coming up, that's where we assemble next time. <laughs> we got some rough days ahead of us. Let's give it all we got. All we got. All we've got. Never. 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 Turn back. Let's bow our heads for prayer. <coughs> Well, did God tell you anything tonight? Did he tap you on the shoulder and tell you anything tonight? Are you one of those who said, well, we have a lot of preacher boys here. They'll take care of the work from now on. No, they won't. They, they can't answer to God for you. No. No. I'm talking to people tonight who've turned back. Just as guilty in the army of the Lord of desertion as the lowest man in Canada who wouldn't fight the war. I'm talking to somebody tonight who's A-W-O-L. A-W-O-L. Absent without leave. Just as guilty of running off from the battle as the deserters, the long-haired, hippie deserters in Canada tonight. Don't point a finger at them. Because you're in their army. Spiritually, you're their, you're their kind. Some of you folks think nothing of just taking off on a Sunday just to go see somebody. Deserting your job. Deserting the post. A-W-O-L with jobs you have right here in this church. Ain't nothing about it. Splitting off here and yon. A-W-O-L. Deserter. Don't you say amen when I preach about amnesty. God, give us a diligence to the task that will cause us to die with a post, if needs be. I wonder who would say tonight, Brother Hiles. I may as well face it. It got me tonight. It got me tonight. Something in the message tonight spoke to my own heart and told me of my needs. And I know my sin will find me out. Pray for me. Pray for me. God spoke to my heart tonight. I'm A-W-L. I've deserted my post. 
I've not been fighting in the war. I want the blessings. I want to sit at the table and eat, but I don't want to go out and pick the turnip. Thank you for listening, and if you like this, please subscribe and consider liking my Facebook page and joining my group Jesus Answers Prayer.